You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Hello, and welcome to Why Shamanism Now. My name is Kate Smith. I'm the founder of Journey Smith Shamanic Tools, and I'm your host today. If you were listening last week, You'll recall that Christina Pratt and I discussed Shamanic Skills for the New World, part one of a two-part series. And that podcast is available on iTunes and on the website for Why Shamanism Now for free. Today, I'm following up with Christina about these new shamanic skills, part two. Christina will discuss the opportunities and challenges we face as shamanic healers and practitioners in writing the new story and in becoming the new people. That is creating our new culture. So I'd like to begin by calling in the helping spirits. I call on the transformative powers of the South that we may all be receptive to new ideas and new ways of thinking today. I call on the emotive powers of the West that we may truly feel in our hearts the wisdom that we need to hear and to speak. I call on the grounding energies of the North that we may find the practical news you can use medicine that we can apply in our lives right now. And I call on the inspiring energies of the East that we may speak, listen, and hear with clarity, insight, and foresight. I ask the earth below and the sky above to hold us gently and to be here with us today. I invite the ancestors, the grandmothers, grandfathers, the ancient ones to join us and inspired us to continue in this shamanic line. And finally, I call the heart with its power to unite the passions of the body with the clarity of the mind to manifest our soul's true purpose. May spirit be here to help say what has value and meaning for people. We want to thank all of the listeners who've donated to the show. Why Shamanism Now is 100% listener supported now, and we're very grateful for that. If you'd like to access the archives or donate to the show, please visit the website whyshamanismnow.com. Our guest today is Christina Pratt, and she'll be telling us again about the shamanic skills we need for the new world, part two of a two-part series. So as the regular host of Why Shamanism Now, Christina isn't often a guest on her own show, and I'm really honored and excited to host her. Christina is the director of Last Mass Center for Shamanic Healing and the author of an encyclopedia of shamanism. She is a shaman, author, and teacher practicing shamanic healing for over 20 years. She's located in Portland, Oregon, and available for long-distance healing. Christina teaches three tracks of shamanic skills classes. The most fundamental are the life skills classes, the shamanic practice classes, offer transformational experiences for healers and shamanic practitioners. And the third track of teachings, the cycle of transformation is a four year shamanic training offered in a residential immersion retreat format. It's designed for people who are interested in thoroughly changing their lives from the inside out. This track begins in July of 2015 and you can reach Christina through her website at www.lastmasscenter.com. Org. So this show is all about stepping up to our full shamanic potential, taking the next step in our personal practice, in our community practice, and in changing the world we live in, taking responsibility for the world we're dreaming So last week's show, we talked about wave one and wave two of this kind of shamanic transformation. So, Christina, could you catch us up on what we were discussing last week 
So we can have kind of a, a trampoline for talking about wave three this time. Well, we were just talk, talking about kind of my perspective about this this evolution of shamanism and and uh, the important thing I want everybody to hear is there's no judgment in this because the thing about a waves of transformation is that the second wave needs the the results of the first wave to stand on to take the next step. And so we were just talking about how in the first, you know, what is really characterizes that first wave of shamanism coming coming into cultural awareness for contemporary Western people. Now, of course, it's been in people's awareness if they are in shamanic cultures, right? And and they are contemporary shamanic practitioners too, right? But they they're coming at it from the traditions that they share and their people share. No, we're not. We're kind of waking up into it. So as this this energy surges, um, certainly not in small part because of the human potential movement in America, right? So this energy arises and it, we're coming out of the old story. And so what really characterizes this first wave is it's coming out of this place of, is this going to work? Do I have helping spirits? Or if if I'm in an altered state, am I crazy or is this valid? You know, it's coming out of all that <laughs> thinking. And basically, the bottom line is, am I making this all up? Right? Is this all in my head? And so there's so this first wave of shamanism is coming out of that and disproving that or or proving that it does work, depending on your perspective. But basically, it's showing that yes, shamanism finds its way in to every time and every place as humanity needs answers. And so, yes, we have helping spirits. Yes, journeying works. Yes, you're not just making it up. Yes, your answers are helpful and valid for other people. Yes, we desperately need soul retrievals right now and because there's so much soul loss in contemporary life. Yes, we need the skills of cleansing and extracting and removing energies. Yes to all of it. And, and the beauty, I think, of the second wave is we don't have to keep proving to ourselves that it's real. It has been real throughout all the phases of human history on the planet, and it is still real today. And it is as needed today as it's ever been needed. And, and so for me, what characterizes or should be characterizing second wave shamanism is that we are not trying to prove that it works or that it's real we we assume that it is and that it does and that we start to pick our heads up out of our journey circles and look around and say you know am i am i a shaman or am i a mouse <laughs> you know am i truly a shaman for my people and my people in america is a big statement right i'm not talking about the way it would be with indigenous people where I am with people I and my family have been with for as long as we can go back and remember to the first people. You know, we're talking about a, a great a vast number of people and a great diversity. And one of the things, for example, the radio show has done for me is it expanded my awareness that when I say my people, I have to encompass in my mind, I have to think about the globe, not because I'm so fabulous, but but because I do things that reach out around the globe. So I have to be aware of that. I have to think about that. I have to be conscious of that if I'm going to do something completely stupid like I did this winter, which is actually offer guidance for a winter solstice ritual. I mean, that was ridiculous, but I did it anyway because I was guided by spirit to do it. But the point is, it's not that I think I'm so special that, you know, I have to think about the globe. We just have to think about the globe now. You know, it's just where we are. We can't not because, you know, a tidal wave and a broken reactor in Japan is affecting all of us. We cannot pretend we don't understand what it means that everything is connected and we live in a closed system. You know, hello. <laughs> wake up, people. And so as shamanic practitioners, we have to wake up, pick our heads up out of our comfort of our journey circles and our little shamanic healing practice and our working with our clients one-on-one -on -one and training people how to journey and become shamanic healers themselves. All of this is beautiful. The, the nourishment that we gain from coming together to do that work is beautiful. The good work that is done in first wave shamanism is beautiful. 
and it is not enough. And I don't say that in any sort of negative form. I am just a person present in my time, looking at the ills of my culture and seeing that they are growing faster than the solution is. And I actually believe shamanism is part of the solution. And it will be more part of the solution in the third wave when it can inter- begin to interact with other disciplines. When we start doing cross-disciplinary solutions, we will have arrived at being able to really, really make the medicine for, the cult- for our culture. For that to happen, though, here where we are right now is shamanic practice- practitioners have to stand up and, and know themselves as valid professionals in a great sea of professionals, know what their purpose is relative to other professionals and to participate in those solutions. So for that to happen, though, for us to participate differently than other people, we need a different skill set than we actually gain from first wave shamanism because first wave shamanism gives you a shamanic skill set. It teaches you to journey and how to do shamanic healing. It does not teach you to do ritual. It does not teach you to do ceremony. And and most importantly, it does not teach you the personal work necessary to bear the responsibility of the power you are gaining through your shamanic practice. And so for me, this is one of the things that is unique about stepping into the cycle teachings versus going off to learn traditional teachings, which is just a yummy thing to do. It is a fabulous thing to do. I have no no criticism of that either. However, (laughs) we are contemporary people coming out of the old story. And we carry deep pain, deep woundedness, deep alienation, um, years of depression and heartbreak and suffering for the state of our world, for the state of our people, for the state of our culture. Of course, we're heartbroken about it because we're the ones called to be part of the medicine to fix it. However, for us to be the medicine, we have to fix our own heartbreak if we expect to assist the heartbreak of our culture. And so this is the piece that I see needs to step up here in the second wave, which is asking ourselves, honestly, do I have the personal work skills and do I use them? (laughs) Do I have the regular practices necessary to support the shamanic practices needed at this time? And so, Christina, you did talk about those practices last time, but could you tell us about them again? Okay. You know, what are what are you specifically calling people to action about? Okay, so the the shamanic practices that need to come into play out of first wave into second wave is actually working with our helping spirits to understand how to craft a ritual that will change the current status quo, where it needs to be changed, how to craft ceremony that will reinforce that which is good and true and beautiful and needs to stay in place. Right? And so how do, we, how do we work with those two big power tools in shamanic healing? Because if, if you see shamans, as we learn in, in core shamanism, basically, which is shamanic healing without a cosmology, then there's no community. There's no, no outer community and outer cosmology holding it. So it's just a practitioner practi- practicing, just like any other healthcare practitioner. But if you stick the shaman back into the community, which is how every indigenous practitioner practices, then you start seeing the the need for the ritual and ceremony emerging regularly as a regular part of everyday life, not just um, the this event of this particular soul retrieval or that soul retrieval, but regular ritual and ceremony. The big piece that needs to come in is the personal practices that are going to support that, which is my daily practice of energy awareness, aware of my own energy, clearing what I find there that needs to be cleared, a physical practice that allows me to cultivate 
the relationship with the natural world. So this would be yoga, tai chi, qigong, these kinds of practices, and and also the meditative outdoor practices, like for example, rock climbing, <laughs> which you know, I would highly recommend. Right, right. So there's those things. But we also need to do whatever we is necessary to keep our body physically healthy. It's critical because when our body is not physically healthy, it distorts our interpretation of our journey. So these are these are and and I've just listed the practices we need in our physical life. We also need emotional practices. So the clearing practice is going to kind of move over into our emotional life, but. Are we behaving as adults in this moment or are we still operating out of the past? Are we reacting or are we responding? Those skills aren't in traditional shamanic training because they weren't part of the shamanic training. They were part of how that shamanic culture taught you to be a citizen in that culture. So that have would that. have started from childhood on. Absolutely. We're a little so, late. We're we're way late. <laughs> we're a day late and more than a dollar short. You know, and so and and we need it more because of that. We have more to clear because we've gathered more crap along the way by the heartbreak of the ways our culture has failed us. And so 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 as we move through the cycle then in the cycle teachings, we go from those teachings of the for the physical body, we learn skills for clearing all the way into shadow selves and soul lost selves. You know, how do we clear all these levels of disconnection that we create from ourselves, from the most subtle, just marginalizing some aspect of ourself through to creating shadow selves all the way into soul loss. So that's the second year training. The third year training is about learning how to train the mind, the skills for the mind so that we are not driven by our stories, but that we actually literally begin to be the person who is writing our story. And for that to happen, there are enormous bags of stories we have got to clear from our body and our mind and our heart and use the power of spirit to help us to do that. And then we come around to the fourth year where we're engaging, learning to engage again as traditional shamanic people did with the dreaming, meaning the great big dream that's dreaming reality into manifestation. And so the what we what we need to step up to is making sure as shamanic practitioners of this time we have a full and complete skill set that is not just more and more esoteric shamanic skills but deeper and deeper cultivation of the human being and the human soul. Our spirits don't come to us to make us kick-ass shamans and make us all big and powerful and be able to charge $600 for a soul retrieval. Our helping spirits come to us, bottom line, to make us better people. And if we are trapped in a contemporary perspective, belief system and values and culture, they can't do that because they cannot override our choice and so the cycle teachings themselves are not so much about teaching you to be a shamanic healer in 18 months they're about teaching you to live shamanically and to have the skills to notice to discern when you are the thing in the moment that is off not everybody else Hmm. and to change it and to know what is needed to make that change is it a story that is now running my life and I need to clear the story. Am I being driven by shadow behaviors? Am I being driven by unresolved ancestral issues? Am I being driven by soul loss to be able in the moment or past life stuff? Am I to be able to discern in the moment, am I in charge or am I being driven by something else to gain that subtle and awareness of your presence in everyday life? And this, I believe, is necessary for us to truly begin to master shamanic skills, which are all about, you know, connecting to things in an altered state. Well, if you don't know what the hell you are, how can you have a context by which to understand the altered state? You know, so it's like the whole thing is just insane. Right? Yeah, or your so context me, is necessarily flawed. Exactly. So for <laughs> and me, then so is your interpretation. 
that's the big step up of second wave shamanism is step up to become the people that have the rigorous personal and shamanic skill set necessary to participate in the larger cultural ills, not just to do soul retrieval. And I'm saying this because I love doing soul retrievals. My like favorite thing in the world to do. Like, I thought you liked ancestral healing better. <laughs> no, no, no. Because the dead, <laughs> man, the dead are heavy lifting, right? Mm-hmm. Soul retrieval is really delightful. In, but the gnarlier, the better, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, um, was saying that it's not just about doing the soul retrievals, which I love doing. It's not just about that. It's about beginning to address the issues in our culture that are the fundamental root of why our children experience so much soul loss in their childhood. That's what I mean about shamanic practitioners stepping up. It is not just about the problem, which does need us. The problem does need us to address it. But it's about getting at the cultural root of the problem and changing it in the culture. That is really what I believe is the essence of the second way shamanism. And you cannot do that without a skill set and the, a skill set in particular that the, the gaining of which has transformed you because you are the problem until you've changed that. That's the, that's the problem with the problem, right? <laughs> is it's our culture that's the problem and we are the culture. So until we've changed ourselves to be shamanic people living in a contemporary time, we can't get perspective on the root of the problem, which is why our culture breeds soul loss in our children and all of the bad choices we make for the rest of our life because we're living in a state of soul loss. And I mean bad choices only because they do not result in us living our soul's purpose. And so this, to me, is the call, the clarion call right now. Shamanism works. Get over your need to prove it and move on and begin to apply it to yourself to change your engagement with this culture so you actually can become someone who truly has perspective on it. And then the next step is we have to start working together. So, like, I've been teaching the ancestral healing form that is in the fourth year of the cycle teachings outside of the cycle for a couple of years now. So, I've, there's a handful of people, practitioners, who know how to do it. So, this fall is the first year that I'm going to do just a call out to everyone who has learned this skill, either by going through the cycle or at this weekend workshop training doing the ancestral healing, to come together as a group using this skill, this particular way of doing ancestral healing and taking a cultural problem, not a personal problem, but a cultural problem and applying this shamanic healing form to the problem together. So it's, it's, so how is that not first wave shamanism, Christina, right? (laughs) But, but the point is that we are practitioners who have stepped up our practice and our personal work that we're no longer, that we're now applying the, the upgrade of those skills to a larger cultural problem, an illness of our time, not just, you know, oh, those poor dead over there because of that natural disaster, you know, but really looking at a deep, belief and value driven problem in our culture and how it has resulted in not showing up for our vets or not even not even knowing how to show up for our vets how it results Mm. in childhood obesity um things like that so it sounds to me that we as contemporary shamanic practitioners um, have decided to incarnate in a in a pretty challenging time. We've got a lot of handicaps. Um, you know, it's we've been taught it's not it's not good or safe to be in our bodies. Uh, our rational mind is given tyranny over all other ways of of knowing things. Um, we're we're growing up in a culture that doesn't support uh, shamanism or doesn't believe it and calls us crazy for doing that. Um, so it's, it's it's a little daunting. So I guess my question is, is there any advantages to now 
you know, why now? Why do we choose now? And is there anything about this world culture, this this larger context that, you know, we have to consider um, that we can use to our advantage or can somehow give us a, a different perspective than, for example, a shamanic practitioner in a culture that, uh, has practiced this for decades and eons before. What we have now that traditional people did not have as much, and 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 it is interesting because their great strength was the fact that they all heard the same stories from the beginning of mm-hmm. their life, you know, and that they they all shared the understanding of where they came from, why they were here. It was very consistent consistent and coherent in the culture and in the the actions expected by the culture you know how you behave you know what does it look like to be a good citizen in this culture and that creates a kind of unity and a and a and a kind of strength in that unity and that unity that um, those clearly shared expectations created a very clear transition from childhood to adulthood and that is the enormous strength of that. And that is something we have to figure out how to recover. On the other hand, the gift in our time, which is yet to be fully realized, but the true gift, I believe, in our time is our diversity. Is the fact that to conduct ritual at this point in time, I have to cast a much wider circle, much larger circle to embrace everyone in that ritual because everyone is coming, frankly, from a completely different idea of how we all got here and why we're here, you know, completely different cosmological understanding of why we're here. And so, but because it's a bigger circle, it's, it's a little bit harder to do in a certain sense energetically, but at the same time, it, it necessarily embraces greater possibilities because it's a bigger circle. Mm. It's got it's got new new ways of thinking, and this was something my helping spirit showed me a long time ago because I was very tortured in the beginning of my pre- by myself. I mean, I was torturing myself <laughs> not to be overly <laughs> dramatic here, but I was very tortured in the beginning of this shamanic thing happening in my life because a I didn't really know what was going on. I was very uncertain. I knew that this initiatory experience that had already occurred was the most important thing that had ever happened in my life and would ever happen in my life. But I didn't know what the hell it was and what did it mean and what should I do about it. And it was very challenging because I had a whole lot of rank, privilege, and power in a different way of life. You know, I'm a white girl from upper middle class family with a good education and a good mind. And I could have made a killing in our culture exactly the way it is. You know, so here I am having had yeah. this shamanic experience going, shit. Um, <laughs> now what? Oh, and so I can't remember quite the point that I was getting at, but diversity. Diversity. The power exactly. of diversity. The power of diversity is that, well, my helping spirits, you know, I, I get my best answers really when I am just falling apart in my suffering over things. And I just. I'm not even whining anymore. Like I'm I'm really in pain. My heart is really being broken by the fact that I do not understand what is going on and why is it happening? You know, and I'm really I'm really heartbroken around it. And I, you know, and finally they come in and they give me some really simple answer that like solves everything for about 3 years. <laughs> <laughs> and in this case, I was really tortured by the fact that I wasn't being called to study anybody any shamanism in any particular culture. And really get a cosmology that would shape my work. And I just had, at that time, a very intuitive sense that I was just totally, you know, flying with my pants down. You know, not having something around what I was doing. Like some part of me knew that there was something really dangerous about just just flying at it this way. I don't know. It was really, it was very hard. <laughs> and and. And I also was really tortured by the, well, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. So I kept trying to get readier and readier, and the teacher didn't come, and it was really hard. And the helping spirits showed me a graph. (laughs) Of course they did. You're a chemist. They showed me a graph. And in the graph, they showed this really beautiful, steady incline. 
And that graph was the graph of the teacher apprentice way of learning things and way of doing things. And it was really steady and consistent, this, this, this sort of gentle incline. And it just was consistent, kept going up and up and up. And then they showed on, then they wrote on, drew on the graph, the rate of change of the time that I had been born into, which was of course exponential. So of course it had that nice, you know, it was staying below that nice steady incline. That steady incline was above it. And then of course the exponential curve takes this nice curve and starts shoot, then shooting up. And it crosses that arc of that steady growth, that steady development from teacher to apprentice and starts shooting up wildly, leaving the teacher apprentice path behind. Mm. And I went, oh my God, we're all going to die. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm like, shit. And they said, well, you know, they kind of looked at me. So, so what? So now what? And I realized that there had to be people willing, frankly, to, you know, carabiner themselves to that rate of change and innovate and just keep innovating. And to innovate, you have to think of things differently. And so part of that is really understanding the, the value of the foundation that comes from that steady incline. There, there, and, but to use that value and those skills to do things differently. And so then this is where the diversity comes in. So we do a fire ritual that's based on age-old energetic understanding of how to work with the fire. I mean, it's not, you know, a fire ritual is a fire ritual basically. I mean, hell, they even do it at Burning Man. You know, it's not rocket science, right? Mm. But how do you contain it in a way that contains the great diversity of a circle that gathers right now and direct what is coming out of that in a useful way? Because that is the value of shamanic ritual. Shamanic ritual has a purpose, that the point of the ritual is to make a specific thing happen, to do something in the ritual world or the journey world, to make a specific change happen in ordinary reality without necessarily knowing how that change needs to happen, right? But just setting in motion the chain of events that will allow it to happen. And so this is the thing of our time is we have the capacity with this enormous coming together. Like I think there's one young man in my community who's got – four different ancestral lines from entirely different cultures, different gene pools, like different parts. There are many, actually many people in the community like that, where it's not like me, you know, bunch of white folk from the British Isles, you know, it's not really very interesting, right? But these are literally people from four different places on the planet. Now we all track back to the same first ancestors, but the point of someone like that who is so mixed and their ancestry is so mixed is they're going to think about things differently because all of their ancestors are going to be contributing to their answers, right? Not just at one group of ancestors that have been doing it exactly the same way for forever. So, so there's beauty in doing it the same way for forever because some things are just done that way, like journeying, like fire rituals. You know, these things are beautiful in their consistency. They still work. Thank goodness. But we, but we need to innovate how we work with them. And this is, I think, the great beauty of our time. And one of the beauties of shamanic belief systems is for all of their sameness, they have always embraced diversity. It's never been an issue what your sexual desire was. It, it didn't have to be linked to your biology. And it didn't necessarily define the role that you played in your community. It didn't necessarily define whether you were a hunter or a gatherer. That we're assuming that people are called to do what they do be, as an expression of their spirit. And that that is what the community is there to do. To support the unique expression of that spirit. So shamanic belief systems are ready-made. Beliefs and values ready-made to support diversity. It's just they haven't necessarily had all that much diversity to move through them before. Now we've got gobs of diversity. It's like all we've got now right, <laughs> is in mountains of diversity, right? But, but without a belief system that – I mean we're still fighting for civil rights for goodness sakes in this country. We're still fighting for women's rights. You know, We're still doing this, right? We don't have a belief system. 
that is really open to the diversity that will bring us the answers. But shamanic belief systems do. They are already open to it. They didn't have it. It's their great resource. So I feel like if we get a shamanic beliefs and values and how we approach our life, then we can actually engage with the resources of our time and use them to come up with answers nobody's known before. I mean, we have to. We don't, we don't even have the technology right now to fix Fukushima. Everybody admits that. Someone's got to invent it. Where's that going to come from? How are we going to get all that plastic out of the ocean? Who's going to figure out how to do that? It can't just be driven by who's going to figure out how to make money doing it. How boring is that? I mean, that's what ruined the last three Star Wars, right? It was all still about money. Who cares? <laughs> we need to move on to another way of thinking. But the other thing that we have at this time is it's not just the diversity. It is the fact that we are living in a new world. An old world ended. All the ancient teachings, the really ancient teachings, tell us that. We are living in an end time and a beginning time. And so we have this great opportunity right now to engage with the time that we are in and to be, behave like new people and write a new story that will shape the new world or we can continue to numb ourselves and just keep doing what we've always been doing and repeat the old world. I mean, old world with a little bit extra journeying in it. I mean, I mean, what are we? We're human beings with a soul's purpose and we need to live it. It is not a good way to die, to go out of this going, shit, I did the same life again. That's <laughs> not how you want to die. You want to die absolutely, you know, a, a wolf's grin on your face, sweating, used up, tired as hell, and grinning because you lived the life one way or another that you came here to live. And you want to leave the life going, not bad. You know, that Kate life, not <laughs> bad. You know, you don't want to leave going, shit, I did the same damn thing again. And look what I've set in motion. Nothing new. <laughs> it's a horrible way to go out. So anyway, that's what I think of the big deal of our time is it is our time. It is a new time. We have enormous diversity to draw on. And we have an enormous connectivity at this time. For a while, at least as long as we've got electricity, we've got connectivity. And we need to use it powerfully. Mm. And this is one of the beauties of the community, the last mass community around the cycle teachings, is we are a non-local community. It took a while to explain that to the spirits. They were like, what? And finally, we explained it to them, and we kind of explained the internet a little bit. Um, and they went, oh, like a whole new project. You know, that changes everything. We get to rethink everything. You know, it's, it's kind of cool. Innovation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what we have. I mean, and this is, you know, the great gift that human beings bring with all that free will is innovation, creativity, and innovation. This is what we offer. It is why we are so um, juicy mm. for those things that don't have that. So innovation, diversity, creativity, how does that all play in wave three? Basically, where are we going? What's wave three? Well, what I would love for wave three to be, and I, I don't know if I'm going to be here for that. Well, it would be really exciting if I was, even if I just got to watch it from my cozy armchair as a little old lady. But my hope, my hope about what wave three would be is it would be a time where you know, the way the media says, and now to, you know, Billy Bob that will give us the medical perspective on this and off to Sarah Joe who will give us the, you know, political perspective on this. I would like to say, and now to Kate Smith who will give us the shamanic perspective on this. I mean, I would love to see the shamanic perspective be a perspective that is valued. 
not the perspective, I mean, that's just silly, but a perspective that is valued as something that can assist us, all of us, in understanding how to do whatever it is that we're doing in a somewhat better way. And that's been my consistent experience in my life is that, I mean, I'm a smart person. I'm not going to, you know, be falsely modest here. I have great creativity. I have great ideas. And when I work with spirit, it is always better than I could have imagined. And I mean that mm. literally. And, and I'm thinking I had a good idea to start with. <laughs> <laughs> but look at this, you know, and I marvel at it again and again. And this is the thing. It, it's not that big a deal to think about a business having a room with some little, you know, cots in it with, um, you know, your little, can stick your iPod player in and just be in there and have it be quiet and journey. I mean, right now, my, my students, you know, have to put their heads down on their desk at work to journey. It's, it's really not the best environment for journeying. But that, but that there would be corporate understanding that your people will come up with better ideas for your company if you give them a space to journey in and you and they learn how to journey and ask craft good questions and I mean that's not a big stretch I mean there's a lot of corporations that you know brought in the massage therapist on Friday for people who wanted it I mean it's not that big a deal it's it's not that crazy it's it's really practical if what you want out of yourself and your employees is their best possible performance, then their best possible com- performance is going to come in concert with their spirit help. It's not that big a deal, right? I mean, we just have to change, you know, how we've defined mental illness, but that needs to be done anyway. So, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so then, how, what do you think the first step is? to incorporating shamanic practice in regular everyday today culture that it's not kind of a fringe thing that some people do on the side or you know whether it's a enlightened vacation or whether it's an individual practice how what you know what's the first step in enveloping embracing this in, in our regular society well you know, I'd like to think it would be some grand gesture somebody could do, you know, somebody with a lot of rank and privilege and power, you know, mm. and clout, really, mm-hmm. like, you know, Sandra Ingerman or something could be. But it's really not going to happen that way. I mean, it is going to happen through the work of people like Sandra Ingerman, but it actually would happen like in a month. <laughs> I mean, if everybody who has anything to do with shamanism at whatever stage you're engaged in it, just decided to be out about it Mm. and just decide not in a way that you know shoves anything down anybody's throat but just decides to be honest when the doctor says I have never seen a shoulder heal like that and said well yeah I use shamanism and explain how that happened if the doctor wants to know no a whole lot of people are going to, you're going to say that, they're going to look at you funny, and then they're going to move right on because they don't want to know. But what if one in every 10 people you talk to did want to know? How many people would be interested in shamanism if every single one of us has some relationship with shamanism, was out about it, and every 10th person we talked to was actually interested so we could give them some information to connect them. How many more people would be engaged in, with their helping spirits within the next three months? It, you know, you can't even do the math. I mean, my computer could, but I can't. It's too big. Mm-hmm. And so the main thing is, is we just start being open and honest about who we are and what we do and why we do it. And we gain the words to do that. I mean, this is... When, when I first invited my students to be more open and honest about what they were doing, they needed scripts. They didn't know how to talk about what they were doing in everyday language. Scripts so like what? Give us some examples. You know, what, what's your elevator, you know, your elevator response? So what did you do this weekend? You know, you were away for vacation. Where would you go? You know, how do you respond to that when you were away doing shamanic workshop? Well, the thing is, 
you talk about what mattered to you. Well, you know, I went away to be with this group of people I really love because they really embrace me for who I am. I don't have to pretend I'm somebody other than I am. And everybody starts nodding in the elevator because every damn person in that elevator is pretending to be somebody that they really aren't because this is America, right? And then you say, and I had a really amazing, rich, soul-nourishing experience changing. You know, and change sucks, but... But we did it. All of us did it. It was amazing at the end. And then they see how bright and shiny and sparkly you are. And they go, really? Well, how did that work? You know, and most people are going to get off the elevator and not care. But maybe one person really wants to know. And then with that person, maybe you start using shamanism words. You know, but the thing is, you don't have to lead off. I was at a shamanic training. You know, you, you say what you did. Be honest. What did you do? Why did it matter? And so for me... This gets back to the heart piece of this. Speak from the heart. Be honest with people. If they don't want to know, they'll wander off. But at least you've been honest and your heart knows you have. And the next time it'll be easier. There, there's such an enormous piece in shamanic work that is about cultivating a courageous heart. It takes enormous courage to be a real human being in our culture. It's enormous courage to live your true self today when our culture is asking you to still sit down, shut up, and don't talk to your imaginary friends. Don't change things. But all we do is look around and say, but things need to change. So many things need to change. And so so that to me I think is, is a big part of it is we need to, one, be out about it. The other thing is we need to start connecting with people who are in a sense already there. So there are many other, like in every field, there is a group of people in that field who are already actually talking about shamanism as it applies to their field without knowing it and without knowing the word shamanism. And so the other thing is to notice that that's what people are doing and say, well, you know, did you know that there's actually a lot of history of thinking about things that way and blah, 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 and, you know, and, and starting to connect groups um, who are kind of, who don't realize they're all actually already on the same page, but they're coming from different disciplines. And that's a way the disciplines can begin to connect. Let's say, for example, the aspect of forestry that actually believes in sustainability. The aspect of fruit canning that actually believes in sustainability as a necessary part of their business, right? And so, so finding the people that already share your, your beliefs and values and then beginning to work together. So I don't really know a lot of the other answers because be, because it's so rooted in – okay, so why don't I know the other answers? Because, okay, as I said last week, I was failing, really teaching people the cycle teachings. I asked the spirits, what do I do? They said, you need to build a community. I said, no, I don't want to build a community. They said, well, you have to anyway. So I did. Okay, so now we have a community. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Long story short. <laughs> Long story short, community of students engaged in living, teaching and living the cycle teachings. And as that community, even in, in its currently fledgling state, came into existence, everything started changing for me in doing the work and in offering the teachings. And so part of the reason I don't know what the third wave looks like is because a lot of what it's going to look like is going to be created by the second wave actually happening, mm. which will put us on a new plane of reality. And I don't mean like, new plane of reality. I mean literally daily, what we believe is possible, what we accept as reality will be different. In the same way I, as a second wave shamanic practitioner, accept as reality without question that I have helping spirits and yes, I'm talking to myself and my helping spirits and it's all valid and I don't really care what anybody else thinks about that. I don't care that that is diagnosable at all. You know, and that's what I mean. So I live in a different reality. And, and so 
while you know a client might come who has been diagnosed and I go well, I don't care about that diagnosis well, how is that any different than my life and they're shocked into the possibility that they're not mentally ill because some people aren't mm. and they're it changes talking. their story it changes their story right and so but the thing is once that changes now their questions change now their path forward changes everything changes and that's what i mean by the third wave is going to be on a reality i can imagine the third wave existing but i'm not sure i'm i'm enough sharing second wave experience with people to to have a sense of What's going to really be involved in the third wave? So then towards that, when you first started the Last Mass community, what were the biggest transformative changes that you saw as a result of the community? Like what really shifted specifically? Well, the main thing that shifted in the students embodying the teachings is because they actually – okay, so – let me be honest (laughs) (laughs) on my own radio show um one of the pieces of the teachings in the cycle is a clearing process and it's and it's a very simple clearing process everybody can do i talk about it all the time on the radio show and i teach it as a weekend workshop now okay so it's universal works universally anybody can do it i made it a requirement if you are unwilling to do this clearing process regularly you're not welcome in the community And that's a really bitchy thing to do. But that's what the Helping Spirit said, so that's what I did. And by making it a requirement, you don't even have to do it well. You don't even have to like doing it. You just have to be willing to do it. In doing that, it actually allowed people who before had been, remember, they were totally full on in the shamanic part. Yahoo, right? They were not growing up. What the clearing one other skill did which was required to be part of the community, it gave them the means by which they could begin to grow up and ultimately take responsibility for their own growing up. So it changed the way they engaged their shamanic practice. So that was the main change in the people. So then once that started changing, once we start being able to move people out of this perpetual childhood of Americans and into actually understanding what it might feel like and be like to live as a spiritual adult in the world, that changed everything there. But for me, what it changed is I no longer had to hold all of the relationships of energy with the spirits of the land with the elemental energies with whatever spirits were giving us the te- whichever particular spirit is giving us the teaching the whole cosmology itself all of the people all of their helping spirits where all where they're going in their transformations i was having to endeavor to manage all of that before by myself and as soon as we created the community and began to to move the skills into practice, then I could look at who was coming to a workshop and send him an email and say, okay, you guys are going to be responsible for the air shrine, you guys for the earth shrine, you know, and everybody give everybody an assignment. They would be responsible, different people would be responsible for maintaining these different relationships. So once they did that, my energy was grossly freed up to dive more deeply into the relationship with the helping spirits that are, that the teachings are coming from. So the teachings deepened. I mean, I didn't have literally in a day, didn't have the energy to go deeper in the teaching because I was doing everything for everyone. But once there was a community and a shared skill set that people were practicing in their daily lives, they could come to the workshop and practice it at the workshop and do all uh, much of the energetic maintenance of the group, which made them feel fabulous and put them in deeper relationship with spirit, which allowed them to embrace the teachings deeper, which made their questions come from a different place. And I was able to focus more on my one real job there, which is to be in relationship with the spirits who are giving these teachings and paying attention to the individual people's transformational processes and how that connects to things they've done the years before and where they're going, because that's really my job. As the teacher, I couldn't do it as deeply before. So that was a huge change. So now, as a result of the community, the teachings changed. Not like 
they used to be blue and now they're green. But they used to be blue and now they're a blue we don't even have words for. You know, now they've deepened to such a degree that we couldn't really imagine before. So things like that really changed. And that wasn't like the plan. You know, it's just all of the many things that happened as a result of that. So I wonder, as all of us step up our practice in whatever way is appropriate, it seems to me being that we're all connected, um, just one step forward can free up others around you to take their next step as well. That it's not just individuals by themselves. We are a web of shamanic practitioners connected and as a few of us start upgrading what we're doing, that may enable the rest of us to shift just a bit more easily. Yes. And we as contemporary people do not have the skills to play nice together. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> I mean, we really don't. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, be funny about it, but we really don't. We actually cannot just gather a big armload of, you know, contemporary people and throw them over there together and say, okay, be a community now. It won't work. We don't have the skills. And that's the other thing we need to understand as shamanic practitioners is if you haven't actually gone out to gain those skills, you don't have them either. Hmm. Because they don't come out of a traditional shamanic skill set because they didn't need to. Because they were embedded in the community and the cosmology that the shamanic skills came out of. You know, so they're two different sets of teachings. And, and so that's a, a really big piece of understanding the value of a cosmology. But, but in particular, the cycle teachings. Because you know, we have people come in every year that have studied, deeply studied shamanism in different cosmologies. But their challenge is importing that cosmology into a contemporary American life and importing that cosmology to a different country where there's different land spirits. And so we have beginners, but we have really experienced people also, and they're all mixed together because we're all in the same place in our understanding of how do I bring this to bear in my contemporary life? Because that is the essence of the teaching, is it doesn't matter how beautiful and esoteric and wild and dramatic our shamanic life is if we cannot apply it to our everyday life directly every day. And so this is the thing I think that is really unique about the cycle teachings as a cosmology is anybody can come in from any other cosmology, learn this cosmology, and it will inform them about how to more deeply practice what they're practicing in a contemporary life. So we always have mesa carriers in the circle now. Right? We always have people that are coming from many years in different practices. What the cycle teaching does, again, because it's about how do we learn to do our shamanic, live our shamanic life and engage the diversity. So the whole point of it is to have diverse range of experience, diverse range of where you come from, from life, diverse range of shamanic experience and have that all come together. And so this is the other thing about the cycle teachings is they have a certain universal usefulness. And in that universality, it allows us to then apply that cosmology, not only to my shamanic life, but to the problems that arise in life. So now back to the idea that you know, the transformation has to be contained. Well, that's true with the problems too. You know, so, mm -hmm. so we need not only a cosmology that embraces our shamanism, but one that we can take and, and bring the problem into the center to understand how to organize the answer there. So, so for example, there's a woman, Gina Ogden, who's written some wonderful books on sexuality and, um, she did the first and the still to this day, the largest study on women's sexuality. And she got all of this information that 
they told her she wouldn't be able to get, like they told her you would be lucky to get, you know, a hundred people to respond to your survey. And she had like 5,000 or something <laughs> like that. I mean, it was just like some unbelievable amount of data. She didn't know how to organize. And at the time she was studying, I can't remember with whom, uh, but an aunt, someone teaching basic, some Andean shamanism, um, Peruvian or Bolivian or I don't know. I don't know for sure. Can't remember the details. But anyway, she had a dream where the cosmology came and showed her how to organize her data. And so she did. And so she's got some of the most progressive work out there, particularly around women's sexuality, but sexuality in general. Because she organized her science through the Andean medicine wheel. Brilliant. It's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's not that hard, you know, if we just could do, would do it and trust it and live it. So, Christina, in the last few moments, could you give us a call to action, you know, each practitioner in their own stage to, to step up into the second wave and to start uh, tuning their radar into, into creating the third wave of shamanism? Well, I think, I think the next step is two steps. I think the first step is people need to look honestly at where they are. Like I was talking about, I think, in the beginning of the show last week, you know, every single one of us hasn't lived an entire generation yet in shamanism, right? So we have, like, no perspective, right? <laughs> we are infants in this work. And so there, so everybody needs to either get out of the pit of needing to prove to yourself that this works and accept that it does, and you're called to it. So just get out of that pit and get up here on solid ground with us or get off your high horse that you know so much because we don't. We haven't been doing this for – I mean, Michael Harner isn't even dead yet, right? I mean, we haven't been doing this for more than a generation. No one here has other than the traditional practitioners. So wake up, you know? Come on. So we need to either climb up out of the pit or get down off the high horse and look at where we are relative to our shamanic practice and what the world needs because it, and and the, and I've learned this the hard way kicking and screaming and spitting along the way is it's not just about me and my soul's purpose even though of course the cycle is all about your soul's purpose it's not about my soul's purpose it's about the fact that I was dreamed into existence because that soul's purpose that only I can do is medicine for something in, a, in the bigger world. And if I'm not engaged in the bigger world, I will miss the opportunity to make that medicine for the world. And I probably can't make it alone. I probably have to make it with other people. And so I have got to get out of the comfort and simplicity of my, my little practice where I'm just doing healing one-on-one -on -one with people and I need to to open out so by that I mean every person who feels this call needs to look honestly about where they are and what really needs to be done in the bigger perspective of humanity on this planet and take the next step accept the fact it will scare the shit out of you or it's not a big enough step you will likely not want to do it, but understand you are in good company <laughs> and take the fucking step. You know? <laughs> I mean, come on, people. Really? I mean, really? We have to, we have to be willing to go there. And if, if, if learning your basic shamanic skills has taught you anything, it's taught you you don't know what's going on, right? So if we're living in, it, in the comfort of thinking we've got a handle on things, we're not pushing. We're not taking the steps we need to be taking because our relationship with our helping spirits is about teaching us to be in relationship with the unknown. Mm. And the medicine the world needs is in that realm. And we have to go there. And we have to go there, many of us, together. Because it isn't about some individual savior. It's about us, together, saving ourselves. It is, oh my God, it's the end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
I mean, it is about recognizing this isn't about waiting for a savior. It's about stepping up and being the medicine, all of us together and understanding. Some of us can't make our medicine alone. We need help. We need um, collaboration. We need cooperation and we need community and we need cosmologies. Mm. And so that would be my thing is if you're not uncomfortable taking the step, take a bigger step. Brilliant. Here's to owning that new story and becoming true stewards of the new world. Thanks, Christina. Thank you, Kate. (laughs) And thanks, everyone, for listening. Large or small, each donation is deeply appreciated and helps keep the show on the air. I'd like to give thanks to the ancestors for holding us so beautifully here today, for the earth below and the sky above, and the four directions for their wisdom, medicine, and their protection. And finally, I'd like to thank the energy of the heart that unites us all. You can subscribe weekly for our weekly e-card show reminders at www.co-creatornetwork.com. And the shows are available at the show website, whyshamanismnow.com, and also on iTunes through the iTunes store for free. To contact me, Kate Smith, about creativity or shamanic power tools like drums or rattles, Check out my Facebook site, Journey Smith Shamanic Tools, or you can email me directly at journeysmith2012 at gmail.com. To schedule a long-distance healing with Christina Pratt or find information about her upcoming classes, go to www.lastmaskcenter.org. Registration is now open for Masks of Illusion and the Authentic Self, which is the entry class for the four-year program Cycle of Transformation Teachings. This residential intensive runs July 5th through the 10th, just outside of Tucson, Arizona. Thank you all for listening.